Hello and welcome to Fibber McGee and Molly from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly and then stay tuned at 9 for Big Town. The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat presents Silver McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, Dick LeGrand, Bud Stephan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsman and Billy Mills Orchestra. You know, there's genuine pleasure in looking at the smooth surface of a waxed floor. It has such a rich, such a mellow look. In fact, that glistening waxed finish makes the whole room more beautiful. And when you wax your floor, there's a special reason for using Johnson's Paste Wax. No other wax can beautify your room in exactly the same way. Little wonder more women use Johnson's Paste Wax than any other kind. Those women know that Johnson's Paste Wax does more than beautify their floors. It also protects their floors forms a hard shield over the surface, a shield that dirt can't readily penetrate, a shield that's very easy to clean. When dirt does collect, you can whisk it off that gleaming waxed surface in a few seconds. Next time you're at the store, be sure to ask for Johnson's Paste Wax. It's the paste wax that more women use and keep using because no other wax can bring such lustrous beauty to the floors of a home in exactly the same way. Johnson's Paste Wax. History shows that many a genius flowers late in life. At 50, Darwin wrote the monumental origin of species. At 85, Farwell Dilworthy tried to carve a canoe paddle with his bifocals on and thus invented the mustard spreader. At 67, Norton W. Aspenloop tripped over his groceries, got molasses all over the fruit, and the world is richer for the taffy apple. And at 79, Wistful Vista, that is, another middle-aged genius is hard at work on his great idea. As we meet, Fibber McGee and Molly. My, that's an awfully long letter you're writing, McGee. Who do we know that deserves that? This ain't a letter, Tootsie. I'm writing a movie. A little project that's going to make me famous and both of us rich. Hey, how do you spell century? C-E-N-T-U-R-Y. That's the way I got it and it don't look right. How are you using it? Well, I say rifle on shoulder, keen senses alert to every sound, the century was walking his post. Just century, dearie. S-E-N-T-R-Y. I thought a century was a hundred years. No, that's century... Yeah? <laughs> I guess you're right at that. I've done sentry duty in the Army, and by the time you get relieved, it sure seems like a hundred years. <laughs> Tell me more about this movie you're writing, sweetheart. I said a movie, but that's just one angle of it. Oh? First, I'll make it into a movie, then a best-selling book, then it'll go into a two-bit drugstore reprint and be syndicated in the newspapers. See? Oh? Now, you say the movie people pay me a nominal fee of 200000 For a nominal fee, dearie, that's fee nominal. Hmm. <laughs> but what's the story about? Well, you remember seeing a movie where Don Amici invented the telephone. Yes, and I saw the sequel to it, too. Sorry, wrong number. Oh. 
Well, they've done the story of the telephone, the story of radium, the story of baseball, Al Jolson, the Philadelphia story, but what's the story they haven't done? What? The story of the typewriter. Ain't that a Lulu? <laughs> It's a darb, as we used to say in Peoria. <laughs> you betcha. When you stop and think how the typewriter is tied up to culture, commerce, business, communication, why am I It's God? amazing that nobody ever thought of it before. Well, that's what they said when the non-skid paperclip was invented, kiddo. <laughs> Sir, and the zipper. Just Yankee ingenuity. <laughs> you mean every Yank needs a zipper and vice versa? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I gotta get busy, Can't mess around with half a million bucks at stake. Done uh, any research on the subject of the typewriter, McGee? Plenty, Tootsie. Spent nearly 15 minutes with the encyclopedia, for one thing. For another thing, I may go to the library a little later. Ah, uh, for the doorbell, doorbell, doorbell. All day long. How can a guy write movie scenarios with that doorbell clanging at all hours of the day? That's the first time it's rung this morning, Pat. Well, it won't be the last if I know Tuesday, and I oughta. Come in. Oh, it's Dr. Gamble, McGee. Do come in, Doctor. Thank you, my dear. Good morning, Stern Wheeler. <laughs> Hi, gas pain. <laughs> May I give you a word of advice? Certainly. It won't be worth anything, and I probably won't take it, but I know better than to try to stop you. <laughs> what is it, dearie? I just wanted to advise the good Dr. Gamble that the next time he calls on an author to make an appointment first. Don't just barge in like a cub bear jumping into a hollow log. Did you say author, possum face? What are you authoring, a book on bad manners? I'll give you a title. How to Pull Chairs Out from Under Ladies or Digging Post Holes with Emily. He's writing a movie, Doctor. They say there's good money in it if you can do it. It's good money in Fort Knox if you can get at it. Look, tonsil nipper. You stick to your racket and I'll stick to mine. You don't tell me how to get literary and I won't tell you how to retouch a millionaire's x-ray so it looks like he's got ulcers. Now I'll give you some advice. Then let you go on your merry Hemingway. Don't be an author. It's a tough life. Speaking from experience, doctor? No, but my brother is an author. And for him, life is just one boring round of receptions and teas. What does he write, Fatso? He writes a comic strip. Oh, you mean a comic strip writer has to attend a lot of literary teas? No, just strip teas. <laughs> Get rid of it, Go on, Molly. Boy, I can hardly wait to see Doc's face when those movie people hand me a check for a couple of hundred thousand. I can hardly wait to see my own. Betcha. My eyes will pop off so far the pupils will think it's recess. Now, you just be patient, my dear. One of these days we'll have a swimming pool and a private yacht and our own box at the races. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. We can take turns standing on it. <laughs> Back to work, Snooky. Bring me some black coffee, will you? That'll keep me awake. Keep you awake? You've only been out of bed two hours. <laughs> Besides, you don't like black coffee. I gotta like it. I gotta learn to like it. All authors live on black coffee and smoke pipes. Dad, <laughs> I, I wish I had some carbon paper. You mean you're not keeping an extra copy? Oh, sure. I haven't got any carbon paper, though, so I'm typing every line twice. <laughs> Sure, then I'll cut it apart and paste up two copies. 
Chucky. If he must go, you the old... Come in. Oh, Wally Wimple. Hi, Wally. Hello, Mr. Wimple. Hello, folks. <laughs> I hope I'm not including. <laughs> not at all, Wimple. The world has waited a thousand years for this stuff I'm working on. It can wait another three minutes. Oh, I see you're working, Mr. McGee. Novel? Anytime you find him working, it's novel. <laughs> I'm writing a movie, Wimp, about the invention and development of the typewriter. I've already telegraphed a couple of big movie stars to hold their shelves ready for it. <laughs> hey, you're an author yourself, aren't you, Wimp? Oh, indeed I am. <laughs> I, I like poetry. Oh? Would you like to hear my most recent one? Oh, yes, we would, Mr. Wimp. What's the name of it? Well... <laughs> I call it a lobster and an oyster. Well, well, let's hear it before I have to go back to work in about 30 seconds, Mike. All righty. <clears throat> a lobster and an oyster sat upon the ocean bed, discussing this and that until the puzzled oyster said, How come you wave your nippers so? Keep rinsing off your paws, said the lobster. I'm a cynic. I don't believe in sandy claws. <laughs> Yeah, but being a novelist myself... Oh, I... there's another verse, folks. Oh, dear. It goes, said the oyster, watch my bowl, ball of yarn. You're such a clumsy cuss. I'm making eight argyle socks for a lady octopus. The lobster said, you have no hands, yet you knit things for your girl. Not knit, replied the oyster, but let me show you how I pearl. <laughs>
almost the epic of the typewriter coming along, McGee. Great, Tootsie, great. This story is going to have everything a story needs to be a knockout, Molly. Really? What suspense. Uh-huh. For instance, on the first page of my story, there's a murder. A murder on the first page? Yep. An inventor is found dead in his laboratory, clutching a crushed orchid, a dry martini, and a copy of the hardware journal. <laughs> That's the attention grabber, see? I see. Then what? Then on page two, I switched to England in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when do you come back to the murdered inventor? Aha, uh-huh, that's the gimmick, kiddo. I don't ever come back to him. <laughs> Naturally, the reader keeps looking for the killer, and he's, after he's read the whole script before he realizes the murder has got nothing to do with the story. <laughs> you catch on? Subtle? Heavenly days, you authors have more angles. Oh, that ought to be milk from Kramer's drugstore. I phoned for some more typewriter paper and come in. Oh, hello, Milton. Hello, come Mrs. in. McGee. I, I brought a ream of paper, like you said, Mr. McGee. 500 sheets. Would you mind telling me what you're going to do with it? Oh, I'm doing some writing, Milt. You ever try doing any writing? Oh, yes. I used to write a lot of fiction. Oh? Not under my own name, though. I signed it Millicent Kramer. Millicent. That's my mother's name. Oh, oh how nice. What kind of fiction did you write, Milton? Mostly just excuses for being absent from school. (laughs) Well, writing is a great career, Milt, my boy. The thing that appeals to me about it is you can make a living sitting down. (laughs) You ought to take up journalism, Milt. Oh, I've tried that too, but it hurt my feet. Hurt your feet, Milton? What kind of journalism was that? Ladies' home journalism. I used to deliver them. That's how I met Margie. Oh? She's the girl I'm going steady with since last Thursday. The one that always smells so good on account of I'm giving her presents like perfume. It's very smart, Milt. Girls never get enough perfume. Yours didn't. Huh? Well, I didn't work in my uncle's drugstore like Milt does. (laughs) Oh, you got to go, Milt? Oh, yeah, I got to get back to the store. We're taking inventory today. Oh? And if Uncle Ed checks the perfume stock before I get back, I'm dead. <laughs> this ain't getting the story of the typewriter told, Molly. I got so much stuff in my head to write down. How far have you gotten with it, anyway? You were telling me about page two when Milton came in. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm up to chapter five on it now. Oh. Just a good start. What I'm doing right now is working several countries into the story, you see. Giving it a sort of an international touch. Oh, you mean like the Marshall Plan? Yeah. That's the biggest international touch I know of. How does this sound? Listen. Grinding his Egyptian cigarette out on the African leopard skin rug... And taking the beautiful Hungarian Countess Toujour in his arms, young Mars Jefferson gazed hungrily into her eyes. Young who? Young Mars Jefferson. He's the playboy son of a family of southern aristocrats who fled to England to escape the poll tax. I see. Anyhow, young Mars Jefferson gazed hungrily into her eyes. What does the Countess do? Feed him a corn phone? Oh, well, I, I got a turning point right here, right now, and I can take the story two ways from here, you Sounds see. like it's gone four ways already. You see, I say, as the Countess lifted her face toward his, a sound was heard in the distance. What was the sound? I haven't decided yet. It can either be peasants shouting, which means the French Revolution has busted out, or horses' hoofs, which means the U.S. cavalry is coming. If it turns out to be gunfire, it means eight literary critics have just shot themselves. <laughs> Look, 
Votes fine. Even keeps out people. That's so long, Mrs. <laughs> And the typewriter serenade. 79 whistles in the 1949. I take my underwood in hand to drop you a line. Oh, tapa tapa ting, tapa tapa ting, tapa tapa ting. It's singing, singing you the news in a little typewriter serenade. Every little tap means a little kiss. Tapa tapa ting. It's ringing. In my heart, in a little typewriter serenade. And while I'm signing off this letter, I'd better and close my kisses. Tap a tap a ting, tap a tap a ting, tap a tap a ting. It is ending. Sending you my love in a little typewriter serenade. Even Sinclair Lewis don't write this fast. You see, you've already wired a couple of movie stars, McGee. Yep, in fact, this yarn is tailor-made for them. It's a natural. You see? Uh-oh, maybe that's a messenger boy. It's about time I was hearing from them movie stars. Come in. Oh, it's his honor, McGee. Hello, Mr. Mayor. Hello, Molly. Good day, McGee. Oh, sorry to interrupt your letter writing. I'm not writing letters, Latrev. I'm writing a movie. First movie you ever wrote, McGee? First one this week. <laughs> I'm writing the story of the typewriter, Latrive. His next story will be called Fog. It'll be a condensed version. <laughs> well, this is sort of a synopsis, too, I presume. Uh, can you tell the story of the typewriter in a nutshell, McGee? Now, that's an interesting question, Latrive. If I can do that, think what I can save in postage. Yes. If it gets too long, dear, you can even use a coconut shell. <laughs> what size shell did you have in mind, Latrive? Oh, I'd say a walnut shell. Write the story on fine tissue paper, wad it up tightly, and send it to Hollywood in a nutshell. Let it go, McGee. He meant a real nutshell. What did you think I meant? Never mind. <laughs> you ever do any creative writing, Latrice? A little, yes, yes. I've always believed the pen was mightier than the sword. Except maybe at a military wedding. Imagine the bride and groom having to crawl along under crossed pens, dripping ink on them. <laughs> you mean when you were in the service, Latrib, you could fight better with a pen than you could with a sword? Oh, yes, indeed. 
Yes, we had pens that were full of tear gas. Much more effective than swords. Well, uh, now what shall we talk about? Want me to read you my movie story, Latrive? As far as I've got? Only take an hour and a half or so. You see, the first shot is a cottage in England. We truck the camera up to a pub. Ah, England. I love England. I'm an old Oxford man, you know. Oh, not McGee. He prefers high shoes. <laughs> he says Oxfords don't support the ankle properly. Besides, those Oxfords of yours don't look so old. How many times have you had them half sold? Three times. I'm really an old Oxford man. <laughs> New Oxfords are so hard on the feet when you have to do as much walking as I do. It's no use, McGee. Let's give it up. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Latrive, if you don't want to cooperate, why don't you run along and let me get to work? I'm sure I don't know what you mean, McGee, but if I'm interfering with your work, I shall be only too happy to remove myself. Good day. <laughs> I wonder if he's catching on or whether this was just coincidental. Search me. We sure didn't get any place with him today. Oh, well, I gotta get back to work. I'll see. McGee, what movie stars did you say you wired about taking part in this picture of yours? And uh, weren't you being slightly premature? Oh, no, because this will be such an important picture. I wanted to have exactly the two people that would. Ah, here we are. Here we are. Come in. Get him, McGee. That's himself there, lad. Two telegrams for you, Max. Sign here. Okay, bud. And here's a dollar for yourself. Gee, thanks. Wasn't that a rather heavy tip here? No, uh, <laughs> oh, it wasn't too big a tip. Because if this story sells, I can afford it. And if it don't, I may be delivering telegrams one of these days myself. <laughs> Maybe somebody will give me a dollar. Well, who are the wires from? Open them up quick. Okay, let's see. Wait, wait. Oh, my God. What? Gregory Peck can't make it. Oh, dear. <laughs> Shuck. Says he's got previous commitments. Doggone it. How about the other one? Oh, wait, I get it. Let's see. Oh, can you beat that for rotten luck? She's tied up, too. Who? Marsha Hunt. Of all the dirty luck I ever... Well, that's that, I guess. That's that. Oh, McGee, what are you doing? Uh, You're tearing up your manuscript and it was almost done. Well, it's no good now, Snooky. Why isn't it? There are other actors besides Gregory Peck and Marsha Hunt. Not for this picture. How can you do the story of the typewriter without Hunt and Peck? Pepper and Molly return in a moment. The mellow beauty that Johnson's Taste Wax brings to a home is a beauty you've probably seen and remembered. You're bound to remember the rich, lustrous finish of wood surfaces that have been polished with this remarkable wax. But maybe you don't know this, how easily and quickly you can polish your waxed floor when you have Johnson's new Beauty Floor Electric Polisher. All you do is guide this polisher across the floor. The big whirling brush buffs your floor in a few seconds. Ask your dealer about Johnson's new Beauty Floor Electric Polisher. You can buy one now or rent one at low cost if you prefer. Hey, Molly, who's going to do the summer show for the Johnson people? Oh, they have a wonderful show lined up, McGee. Yeah? It stars Ken Darby and the King's Men and features their king for a night with a guest king every week. Oh, that sure sounds very good. How many more shows have we got? 
Just one more after tonight. Just one? Yeah, just one. You sure? Yeah, I think hey, so. Hey, oh, I don't know. Wait till I count my soda mint tablets. <laughs> yep, you're right. Only one left. Good night. Good night, all. <laughs> of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, Racine, Wisconsin, and Brantford, Canada, bring you Pivot McGee and Molly each week at this time. Be with us again next Tuesday night, won't you? Rub it on. Wipe it off. That's how easy it is with Johnson's Car New, the auto polish that saves you work while giving your car a Sunday shine. First, Car New cleans your car, cuts through traffic tarnish and road film that water won't touch. Second, Carnew polishes your car, makes the whole body sparkle like new. Yes, cleaning a car can be a hard job, but not with Carnew, because Carnew cleans and polishes your car in one easy application. Tomorrow, ask your nearest service station or dealer for Johnson's Carnew. Just rub it on, wipe it off. That's all you do with Carnew. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. WMAQ and WMAQ-FM, NBC in Chicago.